It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everybody. We've got a great one for you here today on this Wednesday, July 22nd, as we look to get ahead on our previews here and preview UFC Fight Night Whitaker versus Till, which will take place this Saturday, July 25th, at the Flash Forum on Yas Island, Abu Dhabi. Uh, I normally don't do these until Thursday or Friday, but I figured... Uh, you know, let's get ahead on this UFC stuff. Let's get the preview done early. Let it breathe for a little bit. And, uh, you know, because we also have uh, some news, which I broke on Twitter, which is, of course, why you need to follow me uh, on social media, uh, that I believe on Friday uh, we'll, we'll have another edition of the main card showdown. Uh, but, of course, the, the breaking news that I said was going to break at noon today is that the North Star Sports World Moneyweight Championship is officially up for grabs. So the first one we did with Drew uh, went good, uh, and uh, it was a draw. It was a draw. I believe it was 47-47. And uh, I realized there was some fundamental flaws, so luckily we didn't put up the championship because it wouldn't have been won. Uh, But we will have the rematch, of course, uh, on Friday with, uh, obviously, our picks counting uh, on Saturday. Um, so it'll be very fun. We've changed up the main card showdown. Uh, so we've we've made some changes to the scoring, which I'll probably announce at some point in the future. Uh, but I just, I just realized that, you know, and obviously th- this fight card is a little different because there are seven fights on the main card, which is pretty unique. The UFC typically doesn't do that. Um but we're going to have a lot of draws if we just do straight up. So um, I've created a scoring system. It's not perfect uh, yet, uh, but I have created a scoring system. We'll try to pull it up here. Um, so it's essentially, it, it allows for uh, 10 eighths and 10 sevens uh, based on uh, the method and the round. So what I have up here, and I'll, I'll post it somewhere because it'll, it'll likely make much more sense when I post it. But scoring will be determined by the correct winner, method, and round in that order. So if me and Drew, and if anybody else, if they want to play, uh, you know, it doesn't always have to be uh, me and Drew, but probably for the foreseeable future, it'll be uh, us two on the main card showdown. So if the two pickers end up with the same exact result, then the round is uh, 10-10. Uh, if a picker picks correctly while his opponent picks incorrectly, uh, the winner uh, wins that round 10-9 automatically, but it can be a 10-8 if you have the correct method. So, uh, well, I'll get back to that in a second. So a, a 10-8 if it's a correct method, and a 10-7 if it's the correct method and the correct round. So if there's a no contest or if there's a draw, uh, unless you... Ch- chose for that to happen with your picks which would be really dumb because I don't don't think we'll ever pick beforehand there to be a no contest or a draw I guess if you win that we'll just straight up give you a 10-7 uh 
Um, but um, if it's a no contest or draw and we didn't pick it, which we likely wouldn't, uh, it, it's just a 10-10 by default. Um, so the correct methods are we lump, we lump TKOs and KOs together. So knockout and technical knockout are, are the same for this purpose. Submission and decision. Um, so again, the round only matters if you have the method correct. So if you have the correct round, but the method was incorrect, it doesn't matter. So you build, you kind of build from the winner to the method to the round. So the the round is irrelevant if you don't have the correct method, just like the method is irrelevant if you don't have the correct winner. Um, so I guess some of the some of the more notable ones, and I think I'll just make a chart because that'll be super simple. Because there's there's a finite amount of uh, potential possibilities, so I could just have a chart that would make a lot of sense. But like, so if you have the same winner and the same method, then the round is the tiebreaker. Uh, if you, well, I guess decisions are always gonna. If you pick a decision, I guess you'd ha- by default have to pick however many rounds the fight is. But if I if I pick Whitaker by knockout, and Drew picks Whitaker by knockout, and I pick it the third round, and he picks the second, and it was the third round, then I then I win that round 10-7. Um, <clears throat> so again, still uh, still kind of working out the stuff, but this just allows for, um, uh, I don't know, it just allows for it to be more interesting. It's not straight up who gets, because that's the brilliant part of this, is that theoretically you could only pick two fights correct against your opponent but still win. Uh, because if you have like a 10-7 round and a 10-8 round, and then your opponent just has, I'm fucking terrible at math, but if your opponent just has three wins for three other rounds, but they're all 10-9s, you know, you would, actually, I guess it'd be a draw. But, but there you go. My point being is that it's not as simple as just getting the correct pick. Cause then, you know, then we're going to draw like 80% of the time. Cause chances are me and him, like I got three correct. He got three correct. Like, that's going to happen all the fucking time. So, uh, we'll have these different methods here, and uh, I don't know. I I think it'll be interesting. I'm still kind of working it out. I think uh, UFC pay-per-views, I think, might be title fights for the the money weight belt, and then the rest of them might just be exhibition or just kind of non-title fights. I don't know. I'm I'm still working it out, but, uh, you know, I think it'll be be a cool segment and something we could do with uh, uh, Mr. Peterson. Uh, every week uh, the, the UFC is going on. So uh, that'll be interesting. We'll probably post more about that um, in the coming days. But, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be a, a fun segment. Uh, and we got plenty of fun segments here. We got plenty of fun segments. I've, like I said, uh, I've been working on a bunch of different sound bites and sounders and, uh, you know, all this type of cool stuff. So really working on pimping out the show in more ways than one. In every sense of the word, I'm, I'm working on pimping out the show. Um, so yeah, that'll be, that'll be cool here, but, uh, we will waste no more time. I think that's all the housekeeping we have to do because, uh, there are 15 fights on this fight card. So this is going to probably going to be a long episode, even though I'll try to blow through some of these fights. But I, I always say that, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, uh, speeding, you know what I mean? Whether or not I drive 80 miles, it's, it's weird. And I'm sure mathematically it's not correct. It's just a feeling. You know, but whether or not I speed to get to work or whether or not I go the speed limit, I'm still going to arrive there within a three-minute window. 
You know, I could I could go 80, you know, I could just blow through traffic and go 80, and I'll get there like three minutes earlier, but is it really worth it? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't know, you know what I mean? Uh, I completely, completely fucking forgot where I was going with that. Um, I don't know, Mine's, my mind is uh, somewhere else. Um, oh yeah, I always say, I always say I'll, I'll blow through these, but the, every episode we preview is always like 50 minutes. I never can truly blow past. Uh, so I might think I'm blowing past some of these prelims, but you know what I mean? It's just kind of, we're kind of destined to be within this five minute window of, of 45 to 50 minutes, um, for preview shows. So yeah, you know what? That's fine. Um, but again, we will waste no more time. So we'll start here with the, uh, prelim opener. It is a bantamweight fight between Nathaniel Wood and John Castaneda. Wood is the prohibitive favorite here at minus uh, 500. Um, major, major hype train on Nathaniel Wood. Um, you know, this this was a guy who even before, uh, really he's only declined, and it you know, was a one-fight setback versus John Dotson. But, you know, really his hype went through the roof until the bantamweight hype went through the roof. You know, because the bantamweight division has really been the premier division in the UFC for the last, like, six months, uh, you know, with, with new, young, and exciting fighters breaking out. Um, and this guy has not been a part of it. He was all before this this recent hype. Um, but I feel very confident, before we even get to John Castaneda, I feel very confident Nathaniel Wood will win this fight. Um there's a major difference between a guy who's making his UFC debut and a tricky guy like John Dodson, who challenged for the flyweight title twice, I believe both times, versus uh, Demetrius Johnson. Um, yeah, he did get he did get TKO'd in February in Rio Rancho, uh, but this was a guy who had an eight-fight winning streak slash eight-fight finish streak before that loss. So, you know, they call him the prospect for a reason. Yet, yet another Cage Warriors guy here in the UFC on Fight Island. I know they had that graphic uh, a couple of couple of fights ago, I believe on the Wednesday night card. Uh, but you know, some some tough wins in the UFC. Johnny Eduardo, uh, uh, Jose Alberto Quinones. You know what I mean? Not not the t- not the top guys in the world, but you know some tough challenges. And you know, like I said, an eight fight win streak is impressive. An eight fight finish streak that's impressive. And it looks like. Four of them are by, well, three of them are by first round knockout. Four of them are by knockout within the first two rounds, and he's, he's sprinkled in some submissions, typically later in fights. Uh, but again, this guy, he's gonna have a hell of a time getting ranked in uh, in the UFC, uh, especially in the bantamweight division after that loss to John Dodson, just because that division that division's so stacked that Marab Devalashvili, who very nearly could be undefeated in the UFC if, if you know, that bullshit call versus Ricky Simone didn't happen and that terrible split decision versus... Yeah, his, his name escapes me, but he had, a, he had a couple of messed up calls. But point being, you know what I mean, as I, I probably could pull up the old uh, North Star uh, rankings here, but that, that bantamweight division is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, on the flip side, John Castaneda, I mean, you look at his record, not bad, 17-4. and four. Uh, but he's lost two of his last three in uh, Combate Americas, which is uh, no matter what Campbell McLaren tells you, that is uh, 
that's not a premier organization. So uh, losing two fights at like one of the lowest level organizations that MMA hardcores would know about. Like nobody fucking knows about Combate. Certainly no casuals do. Um, you know, I, I again, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he does come out and puts on a good performance because I've certainly never watched him fight for even a millisecond, but uh, I would say it's highly improbable versus uh, uh, Nathaniel Wood, although he's got a cool nickname, Sexy Mexi. Uh, that's a pretty cool nickname. We we respect uh, the uniqueness of nicknames. Uh, but again, yeah, Woods, and certainly by finish. I think I think it's, you look at the, the, the track record for a guy like uh, Nathaniel Woods, uh, certainly I think he'll win. Uh, by a finish, well, you know, we'll get creative. We'll even go in the first round, first couple of first couple of minutes. How about that? Uh, moving on here in the welterweight division, we have Ramazan Emiv taking on Nicholas Stoltze. Emiv is the heavy favorite at minus four hundred. Uh, again, a, a tough fight to really analyze. I mean, I, I don't know anything about Stoltze. Uh, he is 27, four-fight winning streak, but in very low promotions in over in Europe. Uh, whereas Amiv, this is a guy who struggled to have fights uh, in the UFC. Uh, he's had two fights canceled in 2020, two fights canceled in uh, 2019, and uh, you know, really, really fights that would help, really helps, uh, really help build him. You know what I mean? Uh, he'll just take fights against, you know, whoever they throw at him. Uh, but the, I've noticed that the ones that he uh, has had canceled for whatever reason, I mean, like a Claudio Silva, that's, you know, that's a name that UFC fans probably would recognize. Uh, Tim Means, Michelle Prezeris, um you know what I mean? So he's got an impressive streak, albeit not over uh, super notable fighters. Uh, but again, just another tough Russian with a, a stellar record. I mean, you never, never really see Russian fighters with shitty records because typically they don't come over to major promotions until they're, you know, seventeen and zero in, uh, you know, M1 or ACB where they can just feed you absolute cans. Uh, he, he did lose his, lose his last fight to Rocco Martin in December, uh, but he's still three and one in the UFC. So. Uh, I will for sure go with Ramazan Emiv on this one. Uh, moving on here in the women's bantamweight division, it's a matchup between Betch Kohea and Pani Kianzad. Kianzad is the minus 155 favorite. Uh, and I don't know how I feel about that. That's interesting. Uh, we take a look here at the North Star Sports rankings. Betch Kohea is the number 13 ranked bantamweight uh, Kianzad is not ranked. Uh, I mean, I guess you can make a case, but not really. Um, but women's rankings, once you get like 10 through 15, are typically not uh, not super not super deep. Um, Kohea's coming off a win over uh, Sajara Eubanks, but she's still 2-4-1 and one in her last seven fights. Um, really sense that, um, that title loss to uh, Ronda Rousey. Uh, she has uh, hasn't gone so good for Betch Kohea. Uh, notably taunted Holly Holm during that uh, headlining fight in Singapore and got her uh, face kicked in. Um, 
37, so not getting any younger, but uh, I don't know. There's some pretty old fighters. I mean, I guess 135 is basically women's heavyweight. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's some pretty old fighters in that division. Marion Renault, uh, you know, gals like that. Um, Betscohea will always be one of my favorite fighters just from uh, from her Instagram. Um, Pandy Kanzad, however, uh, two and two in her last four fights. She had a uh, fight that was outside of the UFC in that uh, in that little streak. She was on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I forget what season. It must have been the one. Actually, no, it must have been the 145 because she took on like Julia Stolarienko and like fighters like that. Um, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to disagree with this one. I think I'm going to have to go with Betch Cohea, uh, just more of the proven commodity. She did win over Eubanks, and Eubanks is ranked and very nearly nearly got a title shot versus uh, Shevchenko uh, back at 218. That sounds about right. 218. God, who who even knows? Time time is a weird thing when you talk about some of these newer divisions. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I I don't know. Um, I think I've seen one of Panny's uh, fights. I don't know. I went over Jessica Rose Clark. I mean, that's a that's a name, but uh, definitely got choked out by uh, Macy Chasson. So, again, a fight that I'll, I'll probably just skip, like, if I have to make a pizza or something during this fight or make a beer run or something, uh, it will definitely be this fight. Uh, or maybe maybe a fight coming up. Maybe a fight coming up. But, uh, yeah, not not very intrigued by this fight, as, as you can tell. Uh, moving on here in the heavyweight division, we have Rafael Pessoa taking on Tanner Bozier. Bozier is the minus 250 favorite. Uh, I, I really like this fight. I really do. I think, uh, outside of, outside of one other fight, <clears throat> excuse me, on the prelims, I think this might be the best fight on the prelims. Um, I like both of these fighters. I like Bozer, I guess significantly more, but I do like Pessoa. Uh, his fight with Jeff Hughes, uh, which I understand is not, you know, he's not a ranked guy, but... Uh, he moves. He moves really well for a heavyweight, especially at a, with a guy who comes in at like 260. I don't know. I was just kind of impressed by his striking. Uh, he might have gone to the ground in that fight. I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I remember. I remember being pretty impressed with his movement for a heavyweight. Uh, but I'm much more impressed with Bozier and his movement at heavyweight. Uh, I think this guy is a guy who's going to be ranked in the heavyweight division. Not after this fight, but. I don't know, man. He stays pretty active, so you know, within a year, year and a half, I mean, this could be a guy who breaks in the top ten and and is potentially doing something, you know, at at the highest level. Um, he's only 28, which is an incredibly young for heavyweight. So it's kind of interesting to get a, a breath of, of fresh air here with Tanner Bozier. Uh, obviously, coming off of the vicious knockout of Felipe Linz back uh, on June 27th. So he showed that he has really great power. Uh, I like his movement again. Pretty light on his feet. Pretty spry for a heavyweight. Um, six foot two, so not the tallest guy, but only two thirty five, which I really like because that's in. Certainly, there are heavyweights who come in at the limit and even over that are successful, but historically, when you look at guys who have been UFC champions at heavyweight, I mean, 
you're normally within 235 to 240. You, you normally don't come in at the limit. Like, you know, Cain Velasquez must have been like 245. DC was like 248. Stipe was like 240. JDS does, doesn't come in at the limit. Um, so I, I like that. When I see a heavyweight that comes in significantly under the limit, and that's probably just how much he weighs. It's probably not a conscious choice necessarily. You know what I mean? But I, I really like that because I don't think being 265 and having a, a huge gut helps you. Um, so I, I do like a heavyweight who can go the distance. And this is certainly a guy who could go the distance. I, you know, honestly, I'd really like to see he's two or three fights away from this, but I'd be very interested to see how Tanner Bozier does in a five-round fight. I think this could be a heavyweight just, I mean, his cardio is pretty good as well. So I think this is probably a guy who's built for, for main events if he ever can get that far, which remains to be seen. But in fairness, uh, you know what I mean? He's only had one setback in the UFC. So uh, I'm pretty high on the uh, Canadian here. I think he I think he kind of is a complete package. I haven't seen a whole lot of him on the ground. Um, so I, I can't really speak to that. But, um, you know, he, he had that. He's 2-1 and one in the UFC. He had that loss to Cyril Ghosn. And again, I don't fa- You know, Cyril Ghosn was a quote-unquote nobody when, when uh, Tanner Bozier took him on. But I think he's ranked 15 uh, in the North Star heavyweight division. He certainly ranked, yep, 15. Cyril Ghosn, in my opinion, is a future champion. So Bozier losing to him, I don't get too, I don't get too down on him because it, it still was a decision. Um, I think, I think Cyril Ghosn by 20, by the end of 2022, I think Ghosn is the UFC champion. You know, I think, I think DC beats Stipe, so DC, DC becomes a champ for like a month and then retires, and then Ngannou's the champ. Uh, whenever the belt becomes vacant or whenever he gets a second title shot. But Cyril Gaon, when you look at some of the schlubs in the heavyweight division and you look at a guy like Cyril Gaon, it's just fucking night and day. You know what I mean? This guy was was chiseled out of marble. Uh, but that's neither here or, or there because uh, Cyril Gaon is not fighting on this fight card. But, yeah, we'll go Tanner Bozier. And you know what? We'll even go by knockout. We'll go by... Uh, as vicious of a knockout as he had versus Felipe Linz, because I don't think Pessoa's on the level of Bozier. Uh, moving on here in the featherweight division, we have a uh, very gaudy record matchup here between Movzar Evlui... Jesus Christ, these Russian names, man. Okay, first name Movzar, second name Evluev, E-V-L-O-E-V. I just don't, I don't even think my language comprehension abilities could even understand how to pronounce that. Uh, so we'll go Movsar on this one uh, versus Mike Grundy. Movsar is 12-0. Grundy is 12-1. Movsar is the minus 200 favorite. Uh, he's only 26 years old, 2-0 in the UFC. Uh, but, you know, kind of running into... Uh, I mean, I kind of like when the UFC does this, but not really, because you kind of have you kind of have two guys here. Grundy is significantly older; I think he's like thirty-three. Yep, thirty-three. Um, but you know, relatively new in the UFC, he is on a nine-fight winning streak. Uh, well, certainly relatively new because he made his UFC debut uh, one fight ago, where he beat Nad Naramani, who we saw last Saturday. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird when you put like two like really 
young guys in their careers who could do something in the UFC against each other. It's kind of weird. I mean, typically it's a more established older fighter versus the younger upstart. So it's kind of weird to have two upstarts. I mean, obviously, yeah, Grundy's older, but two upstarts, I mean, I don't know. I don't really... I'm not going to cry myself to fucking sleep over this type of matchmaking with these two fighters, but, um, you know, it, it is interesting. We'll probably we'll go Movsar. Uh, I think Vegas has that right. I think Grundy has a, a chance. I don't really... It's tough. I think I think on my... I had a take about Mike Grundy, and I think I got him confused with Chris Fishgold. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't really know much on the tape for either of these two guys. All I know is Russians are tough as shit, so, we, you know, we'll go Movsar on this one. But, you know, that's the beauty of picking fights is it's like March Madness. Oftentimes, not always, I think there is something to be said for analytics, but oftentimes, like, the people who just pick based on mascots, they tend to do just as good, if not better, than, than nerds who use stats to tell you what goes on because sports are so random, man. Sports are so random. I was just saying, I was just talking with... Uh, a couple of people about, you know, I mean, we, 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 we were talking about football and it's, it's, it's so random because like, I remember there were games where like, okay, so if Adrian Peterson rushes the ball 20 times and rushes for a hundred yards, the numbers tell us that when he does, and I'm just making this fucking up, but it was some stat like this, where the numbers tell us, tell us that if he accomplishes those two things, it's like the Vikings will win the game like 27 out of 29 times or something like it's a virtual not guarantee but it's almost a virtual lock that the vikings win and then you'll have the game and you know you're going into the game knowing that stat and going well the numbers tell us it's my opinion that there's no way no possible way the vikings can win if adrian peterson doesn't rush 20 times for over 100 yards and then sure as shit Adrian will rush the ball for 18 yards. He'll have a bad game. It'll be like 40 yards. But the shitty Vikings quarterback, whoever the fuck, Christian Ponder at the time, he he stepped up in this game, and the defense got two turnovers that were handed to them, and it turns out the Vikings actually won the game without them hitting this criteria because sports is really fucking random. I think turnover rates are the most consistent thing you could look at and go – Okay, I mean, we if there's any stat we could rely on, it's turnover ratio in football. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, numbers are right, but, you know, numbers are wrong, you know, some of the time. So, you know, it's it's kind of weird when you rely on these things and yet the thing doesn't happen. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. It's it, it's kind of tough, but I don't know. I, I, I went to a draw with Drew, and he, you know, he's, he's getting better at picking. He's getting better at picking, but... You know, he just kind of picks names. You know what I mean? And and uh, not not a bad strategy. Not a bad strategy. Uh, moving on here in the heavyweight division, Jake Collier is taking on Tom Aspinall. Aspinall is the minus two twenty five favorite. Uh, Collier is eleven and four. Aspinall is seven and two. Uh, Aspinall, another uh, cage warrior. I mean, Jesus, half these cards are full of guys who used and gals who used to fight in Cage Warriors. Uh, only 27 years old, so again, another young buck. He's basically an 18-year-old Nate Diaz for the heavyweight division if you're 27 in the UFC heavyweight division. Um, but, uh, but 
yeah, he's on a three-fight winning streak. Don't know a whole ton about him, but I know that Cage Warriors is a very respectable organization. Uh, Jake Collier flip-flops uh, wins. I think he's, I want to say he's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Um, again, don't, I, I don't really watch these guys that I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. He's got a loss to Devin Clark. I mean, I've probably watched some of the some of the fights he's been in. But I, I just don't watch irrelevant fighters. That's the tough part about doing the, these prelim pickums. Is I really man, I really try my best to like at least know something about every fighter. Not just when I prep, but when like when I watch fights, when I watch UFC prelims. Like I couldn't I couldn't give you the full scouting report on Rafael Pessoa, but I do remember the one thing I took away from watching him fight is ah, he's pretty spry for a big guy. Um, you know what I mean? So I at least try to know just one thing, like one one takeaway. But fuck me, I don't have any takeaways for either of these two guys. I don't watch I don't watch irrelevant fighters. Now in complete fairness, they might not be irrelevant, you know, in a couple of fights from now. I'm not saying they'll always be irrelevant, but in my mind, like I I unranked heavyweight fights in the UFC are just so fucking bad. They're just so bad. Like, oh, they it, yeah, they got power, man. But if they don't, if they don't knock the fighter out, these are just the most boring fights of all time. I I will say, you know, uh, Drew was telling me how uh, he prefers heavyweight main events. Yeah, I I really don't. I really don't. Heavyweight fights normally kind of suck because it's two fat guys, and yeah, they got power. Now, okay, obviously when we're talking about like oh, if it, like Inganu versus like. Uh, fuck, I don't know, like a Derek Lewis or something. Yeah, okay, I'm interested, you know what I mean? Fair enough. Very high-level heavyweights. But, like, nah, you know, I, I prefer I prefer welterweight fights because I think welterweight's the perfect middle ground between power and being light on your feet and quick. You know what I mean? Uh, if, if you go up to 185 and higher, I mean, you start to... Gravity starts to affect you. You get some bigger boys, you know what I mean? But, uh, and, and then when you go down, I mean, you, you, you're able to do cooler shit, you know, like flyweights are not really affected by gravity as much as a heavyweight. So you can do flying arm bars and shit, but you don't really have power. So I think 170 is perfect because I think 170, you probably get the greatest range of body types. You know what I mean? I mean, you got six foot three fighters at 170. You also got five. Well, you have one five foot six fighter in Michelle Prezeris. Uh But yeah, one seventy is honestly my favorite division, regardless of who's in it. I just think that's the the optimal um, fight weight, which probably probably for a reason because most people are most people are probably walking around. It's probably an average American weight uh, for for a male to have if they're not like morbidly obese. You know, just for a, a normal body, one seventy. 175, 180, welterweight. Um, yeah, where the fuck was it going with this one? I have no fucking idea. All I, I am so fucking tired. It's unbelievable. Um, I do know that there's a welterweight fight on the next fight that I'm supposed to talk about. So I guess we'll transition into that. That's my smooth transition there as I, I take a break here to uh, mentally regain myself and take a take a drink of this. I don't even know what this is. Sparkling water. 
big sparkling water fan. I was not a, I was not a fan uh, up until about six months ago. I don't know. Sparkling water, I kind of like it. I've been cutting out soda. Uh, soda's gross to me now, especially that I've had a couple of flat sodies. Um, yeah, not a, not a fan of soda. I've really been trying to cut back. I already have two cups of coffee in the morning, so I'm already, you know, off the bat fucking myself with sugar. Um, but I, but I have to do that. That's mandatory. I mean, I just have to have my coffee and I'm not a fucking maniac. I'm not a, I'm not a serial killer, so I don't take my coffee black. Um, but yeah, cutting out. So I feel so much better. It's, it's weird. I've gone through these phases of drinking soda and not drinking soda. And when you drink enough soda for, uh, for an extended period, you don't realize how shitty you feel because it's just always... I guess lackadaisical, but you, you don't notice it, but then you have the withdrawals. But once, once you get, once you get past like two weeks of not drinking soda, ah, it's so, it's so much better. So much better. Uh, I, I, I'll have a, I'll have a soda maybe once every two weeks on, on like, uh, during a UFC event, I'll have a soda and a beer and, uh, you know, I guess that's my little treat, but, um, yeah, I don't know. These people who, uh, you know, I remember back in uh, middle school, old uh, comrade, comrade Bauschka, this guy would drink like four cans of Coke a day. And in fairness, I would do that at sleepovers and stuff like that. But that's like once a week. But good God, that's so much fucking sugar. I don't know how bodies can handle that to be honest. Well, obviously they can't because I guess we got a very severe obesity problem in America. But Man, I don't know how anybody can do that. That's just sickening. Absolutely, absolutely sickening. Uh, although there are some good sodas out there. Maybe, again, you know, me and Reagan Hooverman did some food shows back in our WRFW days, and I got to get this guy on. Maybe we'll do, you know, I was, I was thinking about doing the beer episode, but maybe soda too. You know, we I think we had a burger episode as well that maybe we could redo. Uh, me and Drew had a soup episode where we talked about the, <laughs> the best kind of soups. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we could do some fun shit like that. But uh, again, that's neither here or, or there. I got to focus here. I got to focus on Nicholas Dalby and Jesse Ronson. Uh, Nicholas Dalby's the minus 270 favorite. He comes in with a very good record, 18-3-1 for a guy who's been in the UFC for a hot minute. Uh, second stint in the UFC. Uh, Jesse Ronson... Uh, just kind of a guy who's always fought. Well, I guess PFL is not not the regional scene, but you know, PFL is full of absolute tin cans, absolute tomato cans. Uh, this is a guy who's lost two of his last three, I believe. Yep, two of his last three in the PFL. That's very bad. That's very bad. Like the PFL has very bad fighters in it. I don't care what anybody says. Sorry, not sorry. There are some fighters who. I would pluck out of the PFL, like, uh, Movs, not Movs, but Kabulayev or whatever the fuck, whoever, the, the, the Russian guy who knocked out Damon Jackson with a flying knee, yeah, I think that's a legitimate guy, his, his record, I think he might be undefeated, uh, so I would take that guy, I would take Kayla Harrison, and, uh, well, I, I guess I'm kind of cheating, but I'd take Rory McDonald. I mean, I guess he signed with the PFL, but I don't know if he's ever going to fight with him uh, because of the Rona. But PFL fucking sucks, dude. So if you're a guy who lost two of your last three, I think it's... I'm not saying you can't win. A fight is a fight. I'm, anything can happen. But I think it's... I think minus 270 is disrespectful to Nicholas Dalby. 
This guy's on a five-fight unbeaten streak. Uh, he had a draw in there. A really weird draw. I, 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 come, I come across a Cage Warriors fight. Uh, just randomly, Nicholas Dalby and this guy, Ross Houston. It was a no contest. I believe it was refed by... Um, fuck, who's that English referee? Oh, I can see his face. Oh, that bugs me. Okay, Herb Dean is Mario Yamasaki. Fuck, he's the one that... Ah, oh man, that, that's going to bug me. The one that Colby Covington fucking hates because he refed theirs at 245. Whatever, we all know him. He's the guy who... The British guy who refs half the fights. Uh, but he refed that one as well. And the cage got so slippery. It was such a bloody fight that the cage was made out of some weird material. It got so slippery that they were slipping around when they, when they went to the ground. They were slipping around on their own blood like Looney Tunes, and they had to call off the fight. Just one of the weirdest fights I've ever seen. Um, yeah, just absolutely weird. Uh, but a guy, who, he kind of fizzled out in the UFC. He was on a two-fight losing streak, which I I think's a little mean. You know what I mean? He had a draw with Darren Till, uh, a loss to Zach Cummings, and a loss to Peter Sabota. He got cut and then lost again in Cage Warriors, but... I don't know. He's he's came back. He beat Olive, uh, Cowboy Oliveira uh, in September. I don't know. He kind of seems like a, a a better, more mature fighter. You know, came into the UFC kind of young, kind of young in his career. He didn't didn't have a whole lot of top level uh, experience, but I, I really think he he went back. He got more experience, and I don't know. I mean, that's that's interesting. He's got an interesting style, wrestling base. Uh, 170, there's no shortage of fun fights at 170. I wouldn't call this a fun fight, because I don't think it's going to be even remotely close. Uh, I think Dalby's going to smoke him. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go with Dalby by finish, because I, I really think Dalby's just a superior fighter here. Uh, moving on here to the prelim main event, like a featured bout on the prelim. Uh, Francisco Trinaldo taking on Jai Herbert at 155. This is probably going to be my favorite fight on the prelims. Trinaldo 25 and 7, Jai Herbert 10 and 1. Trinaldo is the minus 145 favorite. And I don't know where to go on this one. This one is very tough. You look at Trinaldo, he's very much like a another Brazilian 155er, Leonardo Santos. Uh, a guy who's super old but super tough and has a lot of wins in the UFC and a lot of tough wins in the UFC, but just never climbs the rankings. Just never climbs the rankings. Uh, I mean, he'll never win a championship in the UFC because he's too old, so it's kind of weird. I guess he could still fight for money, but it's weird why he's still fighting. Um, but again, a, a very solid fighter, uh, even at that kind of advanced age. Uh, you know, wins over Ross Pearson, Paul Felder, Yancey Medeiros, Jim Miller, Evan Dunham. Uh, he's on a two-fight winning streak, John McDessie and Bobby Green. He had that loss on the UFC Brasilia card, I believe, versus uh, Alexander Hernandez. Total bullshit decision. De- uh, decision. Um, actually, no, that was the San Antonio card. That's why Hernandez got the win. Um yeah, real real home city, home region judging there for uh, Hernandez. So really, this is a guy who should be on a four-fight winning streak. I, I frankly, I didn't even think it was close. I would even I would even borderline go robbery. Not even just a decision I disagree with. I honestly, you start to get to robbery territory when honestly I don't even see your argument for Hernandez winning. If I can't even see the argument. 
there's certainly fights where I go, well, I disagree with it, but yeah, I see how you could get to that, and that's, I just disagree with the decision, but it's not a robbery. When I, when I can't even understand your decision, I honestly think low-key that's a robbery. Low-key on the border. Uh, and Jai Herbert, I, you know, again, he's, I think he's been signed to the UFC for a minute, but he's yet to make his UFC debut. Uh, again, not going to sit here and pretend that I've watched Jai Herbert, uh, but he's got a great nickname, the Black Country Banger. Don't know what the fuck that means, but he is the Black Country Banger. Uh, 32 years old, got good height at uh, one, uh, six foot one, six foot one at uh, 155. Again, making his UFC debut. He's a champ over in Cage Warriors, uh, and this guy gets finishes. He has four finishes in his last four fights, uh, all by TKO or knockout. So this is a guy who puts people away, and even before that little streak, uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Actually, no, he has a decision in there. So nine, nine of his ten wins are are by TKOs, and only one of them is in the third round. So he's getting first and second round knockouts. So this this is very tough because you have a, a young, hungry, tough fighter making his UFC debut versus a guy who. He's still hanging on, man. Trinaldo is still hanging on. Um, I see why the odds are set at minus one forty-five for Trinaldo. You got to pay respect to you know the UFC veteran, but I'm gonna go Jai Herbert on this one. I'm gonna go Jai Herbert. Uh, it's very very tough to pick against Trinaldo. It it really is because we haven't seen the drop off. You know what I mean? The drop off is coming at some point. It very well could be this fight, but it very well might not. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. He is a pretty active fighter, but he doesn't really take a lot of damage. Um, but I, I'm just going to go Jai Herbert. I think I think he does get the win. And I don't I don't think he gets the finish because it's pretty hard to, to finish Francisco Trinaldo. Uh, I think he only has one finish, two finished losses in the UFC. Um, so that, that's going to be a tough, very tough task for Jai Herbert in his UFC debut. But we, go, we will go with the... UK fighter, uh, the Black Country Banger. All right, moving on here to the main card, the seven-fight main card. We have the largest favorite on the entire fight card here at 170. It's Hamzat Chemaev taking on Reese McKee. Very, very interesting matchup. Of course, Hamzat Chemaev, he fought, it'll be 10 days prior he will have fought uh, when when Saturday comes around, when fight night comes around, I guess Sunday morning or whenever. I, I'm terrible at time zones, but uh, 10 days. Uh, he's the massive favorite. Minus 1,000. I would never bet for a minus 1,000. Unless it was like John Jones, where you just know they win every fight they're ever in. Or a Khabib. I would never... I, if you're putting... Listen, I think... Chimaev will win. I'm not saying he's not going to win, but minus 1,000. How do you even make money on that? It's just, a, it's when odds are like that, I don't even understand them. Uh, and Reese McKee, I don't know. It's not a given he beat, it's not a given Hamzat Chimaev beats Reese McKee. I'm not going to sit here and, and beat my chest for Reese McKee, but he's 24 years old, so he, he's a legitimate prospect. He's on a three fight winning streak coming out of the Cage Warriors. So, yet again, another Cage Warrior fighter, but. You know, this is a guy who's on a three-fight winning streak in Cage Warriors. Like, that's a 
you know what I mean? That's a pretty tough organization. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Again, I don't recognize any of the names that he's, he's uh, you know, beat. But he did win his last three fights all by finish. So, again, I'm still going to side with mini Khabib. Khabib 2.0, Hamzat Chemaev. Uh, and I think he will... That has to be UFC history to win two fights in 10 days. Um, but it's not a given. It's not a, it's not a minus 1,000 given that he beats Reese McKee. Um, but but fair play to Chimaev. What a smart guy. You, you submit uh, John Phillips by Darce, I believe in the second round, and you take absolutely no damage. You were already in Fight Islands. You already have to quarantine to get in. I'm sure you have to quarantine to get out. Ah, just, I'm surprised the UFC found somebody for him to fight. But that's, that's amazing. That's how you build... I don't want to throw around the word star, but that's kind of a star thing to do, you know what I mean? Like that, people will know who Chimaev is after after doing something like this. That's a baller move. Uh, it's it's a great way to just stack up these, these you know, young wins in the UFC because... You know, pretty much every fighter that comes in the UFC, you have to have, you have to have like three or four bullshit wins before you actually get like a ranked guy, or you actually get a real challenge. So, I don't know. Just, might as well just pump. Hey, if he wins this one, fuck it. Ask for a fight in Vegas in two weeks. You know what I mean? Who, who fucking cares? I, I say just keep keep beating all these low level guys until they finally move you up the rankings and and you actually get somebody who is uh, is worthwhile. Uh. And I don't know. We'll, we'll go finish, but we'll, we'll go we'll go finish. We'll go by third round finish on this one. But again, don't be don't be so cocksure, buddy. Because uh, I I don't know. I mean, give, give Reese McKee. He certainly has a fighting chance. Uh, moving on here at 170, we have Alex Cowboy Oliveira taking on the German Peter Sabota. Oliveira is the minus 170 favorite. He is 21-8-1. Sabota is 17-6-1. Uh, Oliveira broke his three-fight skid with a split decision victory over Max Payne Griffin in March. Uh, so he is uh, back to his winning ways, back on the, on the winning track after that really tough stretch for him. Uh, Sabota, he's 33 years old. Uh, he, he last fought 27 months ago, it was March of 2018, where he lost to Leon Rocky Edwards. That spells doom. That spells doom in my mind for a guy like Peter Sabota. Not that I was super high on him anyway, but within the paradigm of this given fight, uh, I will heavily pick Oliveira. I think the odds should be a little bit more in his favor, but I'm not going to complain. Uh, only 32, kind of been a, a UFC staple for for quite some time. Been in the UFC. Uh, since early 2015, he just packs in the fights. Oliveira packs in the fights. I mean, he's fighting like four times a year. Uh, a real consistent guy, of course, had that three-fight losing streak uh, from 2018 to 2019. Gunnar Nelson, Mike Perry, and Nicholas Dalby. Uh, but cert- certainly a guy who has some solid victories Excuse me, in the UFC. Uh Carlos Condit, most most notably, I mean, I know that's post knee injury. Tim Means, Ryan LaFair, uh, you know, uh, certainly a, a, a respectable fighter. The the layoff is really what does it for me with Peter Sabota. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know what it was with the Dalby and Perry fight. He just, I don't know, he's just kind of a lackluster performance. I don't know if he, I don't know if he really had it in him, but uh, I'll still pick him to win this one over uh, Peter Sabota. Uh, moving on here, still on the main card in the light heavyweight division, we have Paul the Bear Jew Craig taking on Jesus Lord Gadsimurad and Tagulov. Craig is the minus one thirty favorite. Comes into this fight twelve and four. Antigulov twenty and six. Paul Craig is is a tricky one to figure out for me because he is legitimately a very talented fighter. Um, he just likes to get finished a lot, so that's kind of tough. Um, he's three four and one in his last eight fights, and. He makes no sense to me. Honestly, he, uh, Paul Craig makes no fucking sense to me. I'm a big fan, by the way. But Paul, but Paul Craig makes no sense to me. So, he makes his UFC debut versus Luis Henrique da Silva, a guy who's undefeated. Beats him by armbar. Takes on a 5-0 Tyson Pedro. And gets knocked out in the first round by elbows. Takes on a 5-2 Khalil Roundtree. Two guys very young in their UFC, very young in their MMA careers. Knocked out in the first round. Okay, makes no sense. Takes on an undefeated Magomed Ankalaev, who is, I believe, in the rankings in the light heavyweight division at, I think, I want to say number 14 in the rankings. Let me just take a peek here. Yep, number 14 in the North Star Sports rankings. Um, so, solid victory. Then he gets choked out by Jimmy Crute, uh, potentially even in his UFC debut. Okay. Then he takes on the undefeated prospect, Kennedy Inzech. Good God. Kennedy. Kennedy N. I, I just can't even. Nzechtua. God, I used to be good at pronouncing names, if you can believe that, but I, I just can't even do that one. But he wins by triangle choke. Okay. Then he takes on another undefeated prospect in Alonzo Menafield. Gets brutally knocked out in the first round. I was there because I was at UFC Minneapolis, uh, the the card headlined by Ngannou and Dos Santos. Okay, then he takes on Vinicius Maheda, chokes him out. Then he ta- somehow he gets a fight with Shogun Hua and goes to a decision. So I, he makes no sense to me. He has some. There's a lot to like about his game. He's very good on the ground. He's got very good uh, submissions. Actually, you know what? That reminds me. His win versus Ankalaev, that was literally at the last second. He was getting beat up the entire fight, was going to lose 30-27, maybe even some 10-8s in there, and he choked him out at the last second. That that rings a bell. So this is a guy who doesn't really have a chin, Does is not really good offensively standing up, but it He's just interesting, and he's got some some good spinning sidekicks. He really does, but that's how he, that's how he lost versus uh, Alonzo Menafield. He tried a spinning sidekick, he missed, and uh, Kennedy hit him with uh, a, a giant right hand and uh, knocked him out viciously. So, uh, man, I don't I don't get it. I also don't get every single prospect. Over like the last like three years in the light heavyweight division has taken on Paul Craig. I don't know what that says about Paul Craig, but like Da Silva, 
Prospect, Pedro Prospect, Roundtree Prospect, Ankalaev at the time Prospect, Crute Prospect, Kennedy Prospect, Menafield Prospect, Morea, Vinicius Mejeda, uh, not a prospect, just a really bad UFC fighter. But it makes no sense. Uh, Antigulov, on the other hand, uh, another Russian with a very solid record, of course, because, you know, didn't come to the UFC until uh, he was 17-4. and four. Um, Two-fight losing streak to uh, Iwan Kutalaba and uh, Mikhail Olesechek. Has not won since 2017. I think this is a low enough level fighter where Paul Craig will win. I'm going to go by submission. Have no idea what round. Although I'll have to pick one for the main card showdown, obviously. Um, but I'll go Paul Craig on this one. Uh, I think Antigulov, like I said, is is a low enough level fighter where Craig will have no problem beating him. Craig is a really talented guy, and I'd really like to, I'd really like for him to figure out his stand up because if he could just be proficient, he's only 32. He's got pretty solid reach at 76 and well, 76 at 63. But you know, he, he's a bigger guy, and I don't know. I'm a big fan of Scotland's own, the Bear Jew, Paul Craig. So we're going to go Paul Craig here by submission. Moving on here, uh, we have a women's strawweight bout. Carla Esparza taking on Marina Rodriguez. Rodriguez is the minus 180 favorite. Esparza comes in with a record of 16 and 6. Rodriguez 12, 0, and 2. Taking a look here at the North Star Sports rankings. We have Carla Esparza currently at number seven, Marina Rodriguez at number nine. Um, so a, a lot on the line here, potentially a top five position. Uh, Strawweight is a little deep, but I, I certainly could see. I mean, you got like, well, it's easier for Esparza obviously to get into the top five because she's at number seven. Um, but you know, looking at like Claudia Gadelia and Nina Ansarov. Uh, it gets really tough when you get in the top four because you're talking about Rose, Jessica, Tatiana Suarez, and Joanna. Uh, uh, but to, to get right on that top five, right in that comfy number five spot, I mean, that certainly could be on the line here uh, this Saturday. Uh, Carla Esparzo, the worst nickname in the UFC, the Cookie Monster. Uh, terrible nickname. Uh, they should be ashamed of that one. Makes I mean, it, it makes sense. You, you eat cookies, but... Number one, who doesn't? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. You're a cage fighter, and, and that's your nickname. I'm not impressed. Uh, I'm a little impressed by a three-fight winning streak from Esparza. Wins over uh, Verna Jandiroba, Alexa Grasso, and Michelle Watterson. Uh, although I thought Watterson won that fight. I believe that was... Man, that wasn't that long ago. Was that the um, Walt Harris and uh, Overeem card? So it seems like a quick turnaround here for uh, Carla Esparza. Nope, that was 249. Okay, 249. But still, a little, a little over a month or two months, two and a half months uh, coming back here for Carla Esparza. Uh, I'm going to go Rodriguez on this one, of course, by decision. Um, a very solid fighter, but she needs a breakthrough performance. She's never really wowed me. I think she's really solid, really technical, really good defensively. Um, <clears throat> but she's not she's not really going to have these moments from what I've seen where she comes out and wins a fight, where she comes out and dominates, where she comes out and hurts her opponent. 
uh, from from what I could see, she's kind of kind of like the female Wonder Boy, but she can't really hurt her opponent. Uh, so I think, well, I think she has had a lot of decisions in her uh, career. Uh, 33 years old, so I mean, getting up there a little bit, but yeah, not not a lot of, of, of finishes, not a lot of finishes at the highest level, uh, and and that's what's going to happen. I think that's kind of indicative of why you've seen her record uh, be 2-0-2 in the UFC, so two wins and two draws. Anytime you leave it to the judges, they could fuck it up, and uh, you know, having two draws, you don't get draws when you get finishes, so... Um, certainly uh, a 15-minute fighter, potentially a 25-minute fighter, if she can, uh, you know, get up to get up to that point. I think she's still a couple of couple of wins away from, you know, even having to consider a 25-minute fight. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't envision this one being fight of the night. Let's put it that way. I, I do not envision this one being fight of the night. Uh, I think it's probably a snooze fest to a large degree, but it will be a uh, a decisive victory, I guess, for Rodriguez. I don't know. She doesn't really have decisive wins, but it will be a win for Marina Rodriguez. That is, that is, I, I'm confident of this. Uh, moving on to the lock of the week. It's time now for the mailman's lock of the week. So there you go, the beautiful sounder, lock of the week here. Alexander Gustafson is my lock of the week here as he takes on Fabricio Verdum in his heavyweight debut. Gustafson is the minus 350 favorite, comes in with a record of 18-6, Verdum 23-9-1. I think this is brilliant matchmaking. Um, I think Gus is going to be a major problem at heavyweight. And like I said, great matchmaking because... Verdum is 42 years old. That's even push. That's that's pretty old for heavyweight. That's pushing it. We'll we'll get to somebody who's even older who should not be in the UFC in just a fight. But um, yeah, I don't know. He, he had that two-year suspension for uh, PEDs. He lost his uh, first fight back. Uh, who was it to to uh, Alexi Olenek? Uh, he lost. <coughs> excuse me. Before that, to Alexander Volkov. So this is a this is a Verdum who surely is still dangerous because it's Verdum. He, uh, of course, he could choke you out. I don't really see the fight going to the ground because he couldn't get, you know, guys like Volkov to the ground. I mean, in fairness, Volkov has good takedown defense, but, you know, he can't really get some of these guys to the ground. Um, but I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, he has not had a victory since November of 2017. That's a long time. Gustafson's very good. He's a very, very big light heavyweight. Uh, I'm sure he'll walk around at about 240 when he weighs in, maybe even 245 uh, at heavyweight. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be like an OSP type thing where he's gonna be a legitimate heavyweight. He's probably gonna weigh just as much, maybe even more than Verdum. Verdum's not really a. Verdum probably comes in at like 240. Um, yeah, I just. Gustafson is going to be so much faster. I think he has the power advantage. Grappling-wise, I think he'll always have to give it to Verdum. But just age-wise, man, I don't know. And, and and again, this is good because this is a name. You know what I mean? So uh, I could take a look at the heavyweight rankings here, and you could you could 
Verdum's not ranked in my ranking, so it's not like, oh, you're taking on number six Verdum, so there's an incentive for Gus to fight him. Not, not really. He's not even ranked, but like, okay, we could debut Gustafson versus Shamil Abdurakimov, but does anybody know who Shamil is? Like, Verdum, former champion, beat Fedor. Uh, I mean, that's a legacy fight, you know what I mean? I, you beat Verdum, you have that. That's one of the top. Even though it's very late in his career, and he, you know, he's certainly washed at this point. If you put Verdum on your resume, I mean, that's that's you know what I mean. That's that's still the name Verdum, so that still means something. Um, I think he finishes him. I think he does finish him. You know, he got finished by Volkov, um, and he's only gotten older and potentially only gotten off of steroids since that point. Question mark. Who knows? Um, so I don't know. Unless he has, unless Verdum has a, a boomerang in the octagon, I think uh, Gustafsson. I think he knocks him out. I really think. I really think he does. I just think Gus is going to be a major, major problem at heavyweight. Potentially a future, a future heavyweight champion in my mind. You know, he said he wanted to stay active. I believe in an interview with uh, the Schmo. So, you know, and again, he's only thirty-three. So he's. Uh, a, a child at heavyweight, you know what I mean? Like, we we, we got forty-two-year-old Fabricio Verdum still kicking around. So thirty-three, I mean, you know that some guys don't even start their career in the UFC at the heavyweight division at age thirty-three. So, you know what I mean? I'd say the prime for heavyweight is like thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven. So he's still several years ahead of his prime in the division he's in. So, uh, it, it's a fresh division. You know, every time you change a division, you're you're you have no losses. Gustafson has no losses. He has six losses on his, on his record, zero losses at heavyweight. So it's a brand new Gustafson. So I'm very excited for this one, and of course, it's why it's my lock of the week. Moving on here to a fight I am very much not interested in. Uh, it's the co-main event at light heavyweight, Mauricio Shogun Hua taking on Antonio. Noguera, Shogun is the minus 190 favorite. Uh, Noguera comes in with a record of 23 and 9. Shogun uh, 26, 11 and 1. Why? Oh, why? This fight makes no sense. They fought two times before. Shogun's won both of the times. It's the trilogy nobody asked for. It's the trilogy that nobody gives a shit about. Nobody asked for this one. I have no idea how they made this one. They just went. Well, we have these two fucking old guys. I don't know. I guess we could. I guess we could put them. Together. Doesn't even make sense. This fight's not even in Brazil. Like, I I don't. I have no interest in this one. I have no interest in Shogun fighting, and he's only thirty-eight years old. What well, I say only because you know, Nogueira's forty-four. He's forty-four years old. Shogun thirty-eight, one one and one in his last three. And, you know, in fairness to Shogun, he had a little streak going on, you know what I mean? Uh, after that OSP loss in 2014, he had a, a win over Nogueira in 2015. So no fucking reason to do this fight. A win, o- win over Nogueira in 2015, a win over Corey Anderson in 2016, and a win over Volante in 2017. So, fair enough, fair enough, you know what I mean? He had, he had, he was stringing together a little comeback. I guess I use comeback loosely because he wasn't going to do anything with it, but he did technically string together some wins in the UFC. He had uh, a fight 
fallout with OSP in 2017. Two fights get canceled with uh, Volkan Uzdemir in 2018 because Uzdemir, I, th- I think that was because he has a felony, um, felony assault or whatever. Uh, takes on Anthony Smith, of course, gets brutally knocked out, and then he w- a win over Pedro in that draw that we mentioned earlier with Paul Craig. I don't even want to see Shogun fight, let alone Nogueira. F- 44 years old, he's lost four of his last six, including getting brutally knocked out by Ryan Spann in May of 2019. Uh, uh, that UFC 237 was terrible for Brazilians. That was the night where Volkanovski beat Aldo, Cannoneer beat Silva, and Ryan Spann beat Nogueira. The only saving grace for Brazilian fans was that was a night that, obviously, Andrade became champion over Nami Yunus, but that was a terrible night for Brazilians. All their legends lost. Um, but yeah, it makes no sense. And yeah, he's had some tough competition in that streak of of four of six losses you like a ryan bader and and whatever but man he's just so old why are we why are we doing this what is there shogun's won twice before what is there to prove so if, if shogun wins three times what does that mean and if nogira wins once that honestly that's even worse that's that's even worse if nogira wins because that a 44 year old washed up the only thing at stake for this fight is who has the worst hairline. Both these guys' hairlines are absolutely atrocious. All, all, first team, all UFC worst hairlines, Shogun Hua and uh, Nogueira. So, fuck, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know on this one. We'll go Shogun, but, well, we're certainly going Shogun because he's won the first two times. Uh, but I, I guess we'll go Decision. I don't really, I don't really know. This this is, I, I just I can't even put into words how little interest I have in this fight. Um, but the first two fights were decision wins for Shogun. Why would this be any different? You know what I mean? Like we talk about uh, the old stat where it's like, if the younger fighter beat the older fighter, and they have a rematch in the rematch, the younger fighter will beat that said older fighter. Something like. 80% of the time, um, you know what I mean? So what does that say for trilogies? That, that's probably really never even happened. That's probably only happened a couple of times at the highest level of MMA. So not interested in this one. I, this, this this might be uh, go for a walk uh, or, or, or go do something else type of a fight, but that's fine because we'll move on here to the main event, which is, is worth it all. It's worth the seven-fight main card. It's worth the 15-fight entire card which is going to be absolutely hell for uh whoever's announcing that one i think it's brendan fitzgerald uh so they give him the short end of the stick here because 15 fights is very tough to do uh but it's the middleweight bout here between robert the reaper whitaker and darren till whitaker is the minus 150 favorite comes in with a record of 20 and 5 darren till 18 2 and 1 we go to the north star sports rankings here for the middleweight division Robert Whitaker is the well he's not the well he's ranked number one I guess he's not the number one contender because Costa is next in line uh, and Darren Till is currently ranked number five in the middleweight division a lot at stake here a lot at stake potentially if you 
I say if you finish your opponent, you probably get the next shot at the title. Well, if you submit Darren Till, does that get... If you knock out your opponent, I think you get the next shot at the title. Anything other than a knockout win, and I don't know. Now, fairness-wise, Jared Cannonier should get the next crack at the title. But Jared Cannonier is a very, very solid fighter, a very good fighter who's very deserving of getting that title shot. But he's not a big name, and he's a problem. So I don't really see... I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think... Anya or um, Costa would duck a fighter. I don't think they'd duck any fighters, let alone Cannoneer. But there's not a whole lot of incentive to for the champion to take on Cannoneer because, again, not a big name and a very tough fight. Um, so it's certainly possible that fighters with much bigger names like Whitaker and Till, you know, if, if they can knock each other out, yeah, they, they really might, especially for, for Whitaker because... You know, he he was the champ, lost to Izzy. I'd, I would love to see a rematch. I think we all knew the rematch would happen at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. Just a, a lot, a lot at stake. And at the at the very least, if if you don't get the title shot, you get something super cool next. You know what I mean? So, you know, if if Till if Till wins, okay, you might not get you might not get the title shot, but maybe you get another main event. Or a co-made event on a pay-per-view versus a big name, you know what I mean? So, uh, it's it's a very big fight. Of course, you know whoever loses this fight, I mean you're not fucked. You know what I mean? You'd still be in the top five and you know still relevant. Um, but you know, a, a bit. It's not really a crossroads fight, but man, I don't know. I mean, your career really could go could go either way here. I mean, you look at Whitaker. I think we all think he was champion for longer than he was. He was not really... He was not champion for a long time. I don't even... I don't know if he had... Yeah, he never had a title defense. I don't I don't think... Because y- Yoel Romero missed weight when he beat him the first time to become the interim champ. Oh, how did that go? No, no, no. R- Romero made weight the... F- first time but it was the interim champ and then he missed weight the second time and then he lost to Adesanya and then he was promoted in between to undisputed so I don't I don't think Whitaker was champ for like a year undisputed for like a year and a half maybe two years but he never had a title defense so you know what I mean his resume is obviously incredible but when it comes to his title resume you know what I mean I don't think he has a title of defense or if, if he does he has one i I don't know, it doesn't say on, on here if if that was a title fight, but I swear it wasn't. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And, and, and again, that would, say, that would say something too because he was on that nine-fight winning streak beforehand and he's just ran through the fucking gamut. You know what I mean? He's gone, he's gone from welterweight up to middleweight and gone through the gatekeepers like a Brad Tavares and a Uriah Hall and a Derek Brunson the three signature gatekeepers at middleweight. I mean, that's if ever there were three guys you could call gatekeepers, Brunson, Hall, and Tavares are the perfect gatekeepers. Uh, and then top-level guys like uh, Souza and uh, and Romero twice. So, I don't know. I, I wasn't super impressed with Darren Till uh, with his split-decision win over Kelvin Gastelum. Now, in fairness, Gastelum's a tough fighter. I do think Till won the fight, but it wasn't spectacular. 
So I do think he needs a spectacular win over Whitaker. I think that'd help him greatly. But, man, to finish Robert Whitaker, fuck, that's a tall, tall task. Um, I don't know. And like Darren Till said, he's kind of got this humble confidence coming into this fight. Uh, they're both really, uh, really good strikers. Uh, Whitaker's low-key a pretty good wrestler, so I don't know if we'll see that come in. likes to have most of his fights be stand-up. Um, I don't... In fairness, Till is dangerous, man. Till is dangerous, but I do not see Till finishing Whitaker. That that would very much surprise me. Whitaker's a guy who, like... Oh, he, oh, you blew out your leg versus the most dangerous guy in Yoel Romero, and you still won the fight? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You could fucking, you could snatch Whitaker's ACL, MCL, PCL, break his arm. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. He's he's tough as shit. You're like, that's why it's so impressive that Israel Adesanya finished Robert Whitaker. Like, that's that's Israel's really special. You know, cause Whitaker does not get finished at 185. Um, so I I think it kind of that kind of gives it away. I think. The only way for Till to win is by decision, uh, but I I think Whitaker's really good at decision fights. He's tough as shit. He's always he's always in. Doesn't matter if his hand's broken. Uh, so I will go Whitaker. I guess we'll go by decision. I think it's more likely Till gets finished, but I don't know. Till I think Till's taken a lot away. You know, it's kind of cliched, but I think it is true. You take more away from your losses that than you do from your from your victories. He had some pretty big britches. He, he definitely got the, the UFC hype train and the UFC push behind him. You know what I mean? He should not have gotten that title shot that young in his career with that little in the UFC. I mean, a win over Wendell Oliveira, a draw versus Nicholas Dalby, a win versus Jessen Ayari, a win over Bo, Bohan Volechikovic. Okay, so all guys who are just nobodies. A win over Cerrone, which is a solid, very good win. And then a unanimous decision victory over Wonderboy. He didn't win that fucking fight. I don't give a shit what anybody says. He did not win that fight. Wonderboy Thompson won that fight. There's no fucking way. If that if that was anywhere other than Darren Tell's hometown, there's no fucking way you could convince me that Wonderboy did not win that fight. So, coming off of a, of a loss, in my mind, he got the title fight versus Woodley, and Woodley put a fucking beating on him. That's one of the most impressive title performances I've ever seen from from any fighter. He knocked him out and he choked him out. Brilliant, brilliant performance by Woodley. That's peak Woodley. Does not get better. That honestly, honestly, that might be his crowning achievement. I know knocking out Lawler to become the champ, you know, is how he became the champ. But like, everybody thought, nobody thought Woodley was going to win that fight. Everybody. People weren't even talking about Till as the welterweight champion. They were talking about, well, when is he going to fight for the middleweight title? Because he's too big for welterweight. It's a given he'll beat Woodley. But how long can he be welterweight champion? Does he go straight up from welterweight champ to middleweight? Yeah, you got ahead of yourself because fucking Tyron Woodley's... I know he's had those two 50-45s, but Tyron Woodley in his prime is a fucking really good fighter, and I'd love to see him in there against Covington, because I'd love to see him in there. I still think he loses to Covington, but I'd love to see him actually try, you know, and actually be in there, and I think Covington would really wake that up for him. Dangerous fight for Covington, if that indeed does happen. Uh, but of course, getting getting back here, 
I, I think you know, Till's very young. He very well could be a, the middleweight champion at some point in the future. But I just don't think he gets past past Whitaker. I think Whitaker's too tough. I really do like his striking. Uh, I like I like his striking striking a lot. We've seen Till. Listen, when Till lost both those fights, he lost because he got hit with that like kind of switch fake punch by uh, Masvidal, and he 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 really lost that fight. I know he got choked out by a Dars, but really the reason he lost that fight was because he got knocked down twice. He got knocked down at the end of the first round by Woodley, with, I think with that huge overhand counter right, because he was stepping in, uh, and then he got knocked down in the second round. So, Till, I mean, it's a different Till. I'm not trying to say it's the same guy. I think he has improved, you know what I mean? And we saw that in, in the Gastelum fight, but again, that wasn't a very impressive fight in my mind. And when Till loses, it's because he kind of is, is a little vulnerable when he strikes at times. So... Uh, I think Robert the Reaper Whitaker wins by unanimous decision to close out Fight Island, the final Fight Island fight, at least for now. Of course, the UFC, they'll be back. I mean, the 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 Rona's hitting the U.S. pretty fucking hard. I don't really see those fights taking place in Vegas, at least not past a couple, couple of these fights. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the UFC will be back in Abu Dhabi in no time. Um... Again, thanks for thanks for tuning into the show. Um, we will have maybe, maybe even tomorrow. I'd, I'd probably say Friday. Uh, Friday, so we'll have another show tomorrow. We'll, we'll figure out something to talk about. Maybe we'll do how to fix the Minnesota Wild because that'll be a fun one. Um, uh, and then on Friday we'll have a show, and then probably have we'll for sure have uh, the main card showdown. So that'll be fun with the money weight championship on the line. <clears throat> and then I think the fight card let me see here if I can find the time here I think the fight card is a little bit early too so we might even have the recap done on the same night like we did last time I actually prefer to do it that way okay yep main card that is a long main card but it starts at 5 actually no that's probably the prelims either way I don't know I might stay up late and just do the recap right after uh, I, I kind of prefer to do that everything's fresh in your mind and you know you put it out there so people can consume it you know, as soon as as soon as possible. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But you know, we're we're out here doing stuff. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, you know, it's it's a fun time here for North Star Sports. And I'm ready to become champion. I think Drew Peterson doesn't stand a chance. I I like that there's seven fights on the main card because that's that's more fights for me to get correct. And you know, I look forward to holding that uh, North Star Sports belt for a very long time. So. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports at North Star MIN. And of course, you got to check out our awesome website, NorthStarSports.media. Check out our rankings. Check out everything. We got all the podcasts there. You know what I mean? We're available on every, virtually every single podcast platform. But of course, we have links on our website. Uh, we just got on iHeart Media or iHeart Radio. So, you know, iHeart Radio, Spotify, you know, all of this stuff, iTunes. Android, everything, anywhere you go, you're gonna find us. So it's there's no excuse for not becoming a star, not becoming a star, becoming a fan of of North Star Sports. So uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. <laughs>